listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Gretchen Charrington, author of the memoir, Poetic License. In the book, Gretchen retraces her past to make sense of her complex relationship with her father, Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Richard Eberhardt, a longtime poet-in-residence at Dartmouth College. One reviewer describes Poetic License and its author this way, sometimes funny, sometimes sad, but always clear, empathetic, and entertaining. Charrington writes about coming to terms with trauma brought on by a celebrity father with deep flaws. Hey, Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hey, Joni, thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up with you and talking about your book. Likewise, I've missed you. Gretchen, a stunning fact revealed in your powerful memoir is that your father sexually molested you when you were 17. And I know a lot of authors in your genre, they struggle with this question. If I write my story, how is this going to affect my family or the people in the book? But for you, Gretchen, given the fact your father was a publicly celebrated figure, I can only imagine that that question was an even tougher one. So how did you find the courage to come to terms with writing your truth? Well, it took me a long time. As you may recall, I started writing some of the scenes in this book nearly 20 years ago. And then I think really in truth, I needed to wait and let it sort of sit before I did a full rewrite under the direction of She Writes Press and my editor, Brooke Warner. And I believe that that was necessary, not only to improve the book, but also because my father had recently died. And I honestly don't know if I could have put this book out before he passed. On the other hand, the rest of my family, my mother was deceased too. She died before my father did. But my older brother, my cousins on both sides of the family were all incredibly supportive. It takes a lot of guts, really. And I will say that my stomach was clenched for about a month pre-pub day last summer and really didn't release until was off live in the world, and I could no longer control anything about it. Was there a particular moment when you finally thought, yes, I am going to do this. This will be a book that I release to the public. You know, that's a great question. And I think that there were two different times. One was back in the late 2010 era, just before Donald Hall died, when I became closer to him in my adulthood. I had known him growing up and he had been great friends with my dad and vice versa. And I spent a fair number of hours with Don in his old farmhouse in Walpole, New Hampshire, (laughs) getting to know him and having him read through some of what I'd written and getting his take on who my father was. And it was really, I think, after talking with him and a couple of the other poets, Jay Perini as well, was incredibly helpful to me in coming to terms with who my father was. And, you know, it was sort of at that time that I was like, no, I think I have the right story here. I think I've validated it well enough. I think I've gotten good input from the poets and the people who he held closest by him. Um, 
So that was one of them, but I couldn't sell it. It didn't sell. And then the next moment really was after I retired from my consulting career, which I'd been in for 35 years or so. It was kind of like that question, you know, that I love asking, if not now, when? And that's really when I reached out to Brooke Warner because I'd heard a little bit about how good she was in editing memoir and asked her to work with me to get it shaped up for publication. Well, I'm glad you found each other. Thank you. So Gretchen, you grew up in this very lively household in that your parents, Betty and Dick, they love to entertain. And your family home was often filled with famous poets that spanned decades, it seems, E.B. White and William Carlos Williams and Robert Frost, Dylan Thomas, Anne Sexton, Allen Ginsberg. And, you know, to some of us, me, these names are iconic. These are people I simply quote and read and read with my jaw open. But I wondered if you'd dish a little bit and tell us some of your firsthand impressions <laughs> when you met some of these literary luminaries in your own home. Was there anyone or two that stood out or that you particularly liked or thought, really? <laughs> there were there were several. Um, first of all, Robert Frost. <laughs> I mean, even I, at the age of five, knew that he was iconic. And I also liked that I could sort of understand his poetry a little bit, whereas I couldn't really understand a lot of my father's poetry. Um, You know, his poems rhymed and they talked about trees and woods and things that were sort of familiar to me. But I will say that he was an incredibly grumpy person to have around the house. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, I think I never had a grandfather that both had died before I was born. And so I think I immediately thought he would be like my grandfather. You know, he had white hair and he sat in the corner and everybody sort of bowed down to him. But he just had no patience for little kids, or at least not me and my buddies. (laughs) That's where the road diverged, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. You know, Allen Ginsberg made a huge impression on me. He came to the house at that poignant and rich time of young, really, adolescence. And he and his partner, Peter Olofsky, had been to India on a long trip. And I had been to boarding school in Switzerland for a year, obviously quite different countries, but nevertheless out in the world. And we spent an entire evening talking about what Asia was like and what Europe was like. And he was probably the first particularly male poet who sort of saw who I was and incorporated me into the conversation. Clearly, Anne Sexton had a huge effect on me. She came to our house right after she'd won her Pulitzer, and that was the year after my father had won his. And she was a star. Um, She was breathtakingly beautiful, looked like Jackie Kennedy in a way to me. And um, she also took me in and asked me questions about how I'd been boarding school and how it was to be away for a year from Hanover, New Hampshire. But she also combined this, to me anyway, this sort of combination of femininity, sexuality, and clear intellect. And there was something in that picture that really struck me as something that I wanted. My mom wasn't anything like her. She was fabulous in her own way, but in those kinds of ways, she was not like her. I hadn't really met anybody like her before. You know, my dad had a lot of male friends. He was a big supporter of women poets, but I would say the lion's share of the people in our house were usually men with some exceptions. One of the treasures of this book is how you bring to life these revered 
artists and poets, and I so appreciate the characterizations you offered. <laughs> a lot of them were quirky, you know, and they yeah. they wore funny clothes and they dressed differently and they wore their hair differently. And poets, no. <laughs> There's this one section in the book when you were in college at the University of Washington, and you're talking to your boyfriend who is an English major. And he's starstruck when he finds out your dad is Richard Eberhardt. And I think he'd been studying him in school. And I love what you tell this boy. You say, poets are on such ego trips. All they care about is themselves. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted nothing of them at that point. Gretchen, I would love for you to share a short passage from your book. Something that makes you feel like, yep, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Or, yep, I did my job as a writer. As a little curly-headed girl, I watched my father write letters, his shoulders muscled forward as he typed on his Smith Corona, while I knelt on his desk, peering into its guts. I loved the sound of black ink smacking white vellum, and the syncopation of the little hammers as his fingers flew across his keyboard, ending each line with a solid thwap. I loved how he could type out a letter, grip a pipe stem between his teeth, and simultaneously tell me who was coming for dinner that night. Now I am looking at his letters with the eyes of a woman, a woman who had adored her father and been betrayed by him. My gosh, Gretchen, there's a whole story right in that passage. (laughs) Well, Uh, that's one of the reasons I selected it, because in those three sentences, I felt like I had finally done what memoirists are supposed to do. They're supposed to put the reader into a scene. They're supposed to use a lot of sensory detail. And they're supposed to end with some reflection. And you're the one who really taught me how to write scenes first. And so those three sentences just sort of captured for me, oh, my goodness, that actually sounds like a memoir. (laughs) Well, From that example, I am so good at my job, Gretchen. (laughs) (laughs) Gretchen, I'm going to switch gears. Okay. You mentioned your career, your very successful career as a business consultant for top executives. And if I understand it correctly, the gist was that you helped men that were at the top of their companies to not just help them change their companies, but to change themselves. And that just strikes me as a very tall order. (laughs) How did you get people, often alpha males, not unlike your father, to pay attention and rethink their own behavior? I think that obviously because of my upbringing with dad and his um, swirl of powerful men, I've had a, some might say, little bit of an obsession about powerful men (laughs) and kind of trying to figure out who they are and why they do the things that they do. And it was partially luck and partially just me being sort of different than most business consultants. I grew up in a, you know, really different kind of home than most management consultants. And I also was a hippie in my 20s. And so I came to conversations with those men from a humanistic point of view. And what I realized pretty quickly in my career was that whereas people had warned me that being a woman management consultant would be to my detriment, I in fact found it to my advantage. The first time I recognized that was with a bank CEO who said to me after a wonderful hour-long conversation about what he wanted me to help him with, you know, he shook my hand or something and told me I had the job. And then he said, I've never talked about these things with anyone but my wife. And 
leaving that meeting, I thought, huh, (laughs) I don't really know much about banks, but he trusts me. So I built on that over the years. And I have to say, I was incredibly humbled and honored to have worked with a lot of these guys. And they also showed me how some men, not my father, could take the kind of feedback that I was giving them and make use of it to their betterment. On your website, you also help writers. You offer terrific tips for writing and for keeping going. One thing that you put up there was new to me, and I found it not just interesting, but extremely helpful. And it was this. You said, create a totem that inspires you. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you mean by creating a totem and give an example from your own writing life. Well, I'll never forget that my first totem was a belief that I would one day sit on the stool of the Norwich bookstore in Norwich, Vermont, which was my go-to independent bookstore, and speak to an audience. This was 20 years before I did. (laughs) But I had that. I'd been to many readings there. I sort of emulated or wanted to be like the writers who were sitting on that stool. And so I kept that stool kind of, and me on it as a totem in my mind. And when I got really depressed about how poorly the book was going or how many rejections I'd gotten or whatever, um, somehow that totem would keep coming back to me. And I even had a photograph of a wooden stool that we had in our (laughs) kitchen, but it was very much like the one at that bookstore. And I had a picture of it and kept it behind my computer. (laughs) Well, that stool at the Norwich bookstore, it's rather (laughs) hallowed ground. I mean, that is not an easy store to get a reading at. So you aimed high and you succeeded. So, (laughs) And then in the end, it was a Zoom launch because of COVID. So I was sitting on a virtual stool and imagining myself there. Well, that might qualify as poetic irony. (laughs) Maybe, yes. Well, Gretchen, you've had this successful career and you showed so much grit and editorial integrity in writing this book. And now with Poetic License, you have added author to your impressive resume. So I'm wondering, what's next for you? Are you working on another book? (laughs) I sort of have a constant war within me between wanting to just be retired and do whatever I want to do every day. I finally have earned that and I'm 70 now and I don't know how many years I have left, et cetera. Um, That is warring constantly with getting the next book out. So the good news is that my next book will be out in August of 22. And this one, although parts of it were written years ago, some in your workshops, um, I've only got a year to pull it off. But I'm excited because this is actually about my paternal grandfather. And I think after this one, I will be done with Powerful Man. And I'm going to try my hand at fiction, I think, after that. Well, no rest for the talented. (laughs) And I have one more little writing project for you, which is if you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? It's worked out. Now, what's next? (laughs) What I actually wanted to say was desperately trying to write damn memoir. (laughs) I would have liked to have added to write Joni's damn memoir. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I stay on your case and you are a beautiful writer and I will take whatever credit I get. 
Seriously, this was a very powerful book, a very difficult book in terms of the subject matter and that even-handedness. I was in awe when I saw how you wrote that and delivered that book to your readers. So congratulations, Gretchen, truly. Well, thank you, Joni. It all started in a little orange painted room upstairs in a little building in White River Junction, Vermont. Listeners, if you would like to know more about Gretchen Charrington and her memoir, Poetic License, or to subscribe to her monthly newsletter, please visit her website, GretchenCharrington.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.